0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. This is our summer Mercato review episode. It wasn't a terribly active Mercato, but there were plenty of rumors and stories So in part one, I'll recap all of that and give you my assessment on how we fared. Then in part two, I'll take a quick look at how our main competitors did in Mercato and give you my take on where that leaves us. So let's begin with Napoli. I think the easiest way to approach this is by position. So I'll start at the back and work my way towards the forwards. Let's start with the goalkeepers. We got a very good look at Nikita Contini this summer. Alex Meret was with Italy at the Euros, which Italy won, of course. And David Ospina reached the semifinals of the Copa America with Colombia. That meant Contini was the number one for most of the summer, and I was really impressed with what I saw. I even went so far as to say that if we sold Ospina, I'd be content with Contini moving up to the number two. Now, I'm not saying he's as good as Ospina. Ospina is more of a 1B than a backup but I felt Contini could be a serviceable backup. As it turned out, we didn't sell Ospina, so we loaned Contini to Crotone and Serie B. To me, that could only mean that the intent is to make Contini the backup to Meret next season. We know Meret is Spalletti's preferred starter, which likely means Ospina walks away from the club at the end of the season. Ospina is more than capable of being the number one for a lot of clubs, so I doubt he'll want to stick around, maybe even have to take a pay cut to be the backup. So we send Quintini to Seti B, let him play the season, then bring him back next season to replace Ospina. This plan nearly backfired. If you haven't heard, Meret was tested at Coverchano ahead of our World Cup qualifiers and they discovered that he had a transverse process fracture of the third and fourth lumbar vertebrae. This took everyone by surprise, particularly because those bones can withstand the impact of 7 or 8 times a person's body weight. This injury is not common in sports, rather it's more common in car accident victims. On Saturday, Professor Domenico Falco, the head of orthopedics and traumatology of the Pineta Grande Hospital in Castel Volturno, spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss. He explained that the injury was probably sustained during the Genoa match. You have to think it was the play leading to Pandev's disallowed goal where Meret crashed down pretty hard on the ground. Professor Falco said this type of injury has a stupor phase, so it's not surprising that Meret didn't feel any pain for hours after the match, but then felt it the next day. He added, it's not something that can be operated on, the fractures will take 4 weeks to heal, and then there will be a couple of weeks of muscle recovery, so we can expect to see Meret back in goal in 40-45 to 45 days. Meanwhile, David Ospina picked up a knock in the 94th minute of Colombia's World Cup qualifying match against Bolivia on Thursday. He collided with forward Carmelo Algaranas and stayed down for several minutes. Ospina was also seen limping after the match. That didn't concern me too much if I'm being honest. We know how Ospina is. He seemingly gets hurt every time he plays but always manages to recover. The club is convinced that he will return on time for the Juventus match. Ospina is scheduled to play for Colombia against Chile on Thursday, September 9th at 7pm Eastern Time. Napoli's game against Juve is on Saturday, September 11th at noon Eastern Time, which isn't a whole lot of time, but it is doable presumably that means there isn't a quarantine period the club also included both Alex Meret and David Ospina in the squad this for the opening match of the group stage of the Europa League so presumably they think Ospina will be available for that match as well and I imagine they can probably substitute Meret for another keeper like David Marfella that's an interesting one because the game is in England and I've read that a 10-day quarantine period is required for people traveling to England from South America and the red zones to Africa, which would mean that Ospina, Koulibaly, and Osman would not be able to play in that game. But again, I don't know if exceptions are made for footballers who travel in a bubble. That certainly appears to be the assumption. Now, the reason I mention all of that during a Mercato episode is because if for some reason Ospina is not able to play, then we would have to resort to our third keeper, Marfella. He returned this summer from a loan spell at Bari. It would be disastrous if Marfella had to play. He's never played a match in Serie B, let alone in Serie A. Even in Serie C, he was only a backup keeper for Bari. That led to speculation that Napoli could sign a free agent goalkeeper like ex-Roma keeper Antonio Mirante. However, many reporters are saying that it was Mirante and his people that reach out to the club and not vice versa, and that the club is not looking to sign a free agent keeper for only a short period of time. So that's the goalkeeper situation. Let's move on to center back. The big story at center back for me was that we did not sell anyone heading into the mercado. A lot of people were expecting Kalidou Koulibaly to be sold. Napoli fans definitely did not want to see that happen. But I think a lot of Napoli fans had also accepted that this summer it might actually happen we knew that if we wanted to address some of the weaknesses in the squad, we'd have to sell a player and Koulibaly might have been one of those players. You might recall De Laurentiis saying that no player is unsellable. Fortunately, De Laurentiis will not allow himself to be taken and the offers we got from Everton and PSG, which were reportedly in the 35 to 45 million euro range, were not close enough to the 60 to 65 million euro price tag for Koulibaly. Then at the very end of the window, reports surfaced that Kostas Manolas wanted to return home to Olympiacos. The number being thrown around was 15-18 to 18 million euros. There was also speculation that Mati Kamara could be included in a swap deal to address the gap left by Bakayoko in the midfield. I thought it was funny that while the papers were reporting that Manolas wanted to return home, Manolas himself was posting videos of himself cruising on a boat listening to Napolitan music, so the stories just didn't add up. Now, with Amir Rakhmani, I think we could have managed had we sold Manolas, but I think most Napoli fans are content to keep him. There are plenty of games to be played, so Rakhmani will get his time as well. That brings us to our first signing of the summer, Juan Jesus. Jesus was purchased on a free transfer to replace Nikola Maximovic, who walked away from the club for free. The announcement came just days after Maximovic said he would come running back to Napoli and he would take a pay cut in the process. Jesus signed to a similar salary that Maximovich was on. You can debate whether one is better than the other. Romanisti certainly don't understand the signing. For me, I don't think there's that much of a difference. We know Maximovich can be very good, but after last season, we also know that he can be quite poor. But regardless of who we chose between them, they're the fourth center back, so in theory, neither would play a whole lot. I hesitate to say that though, because of course, just last season we found ourselves playing Amir Rakhmani and Nikola Maksimovic together, so let's just hope we don't find ourselves in that situation again. Next, let's move on to fullback. We lost LCT Sai, who walked on a free and eventually joined Lazio. I know he's already scored for Lazio, and maybe under Sadi, he has a good year but I for one was happy to see him leave. For the last few seasons, Hisai and his agent Mario Giuffredi have flip-flopped between wanting to stay and wanting to go, and frankly, I had enough of it. It's not like Hisai was such a great player for us, at least not in the last couple of years, and maybe he could have been, but we see this all the time in sports. When a player loses the desire to play for his team... They just don't play to their potential. His size replacement is Kevin Malqui, who returned from his loan spell at Fiorentina. He only made five appearances for La Viola, two of which were starts, but Malqui looked very good in preseason. The coaching staff spent a lot of time with him, and obviously they felt he could play a role on this team. It's hard to judge a player based on preseason, but I saw glimpses of the Malqui we had before his knee injury. If he gets back to that level, then I think he can be a very serviceable player. As the summer wore on, I thought the club would have to decide between Malqui and 20-year-old Alessandro Zanoli. In the end, we kept both. Zanoli looks like a very promising player. He seems like a complete package. He has size, pace, skill, and as it turns out, he can play on both sides. I suspect that was the primary reason we kept him, because we didn't sign a left-back, and that was the big story of the summer. We seemed to negotiate with Chelsea for Emerson Palmieri for a long time, he ended up at Leon, and surprisingly, Leon got him on a dry loan. Now, that could be the reason why we didn't get a deal done. Perhaps we wanted an option to buy and not just a dry loan. Now, I have to admit, I was convinced that if we didn't buy Emerson, that we would try to buy someone else. We were certainly linked to a number of left-backs, including Reynaldo, Estupiñan, Hincapi, Simikas, Gudmundsen. But who knows if we were actually negotiating with these players, or if we were just linked to them because we needed a left-back and they were available. Maybe I should have taken De Laurentiis word more seriously. He said on numerous occasions that we needed to get the wage bill down. Mario Rui and Fauzi Gulam together make €4.5 million euros net, which is about €8.3 million euros gross. That is a lot of salary to have on the bench if you were to sign another player to be the starter. So I think that's the reason why we'll see Mario Rui starting this season. Gulam's recovery is going well, just this week he started doing group training, so hopefully we can see him on the field again, and hopefully he can stay healthy. Let's move on to the midfield next, we did not exercise our option to purchase Timoe Bakayoko from Chelsea, I don't know why, but I have a feeling Bakayoko had something to do with the Emerson deal falling apart, either Chelsea wanted to include Bakayoko in a package, or maybe they weren't happy that we didn't exercise our option, Like I said, though, the most logical explanation is that we wanted an option to buy Emerson and Chelsea was only willing to offer a dry loan. I also think a part of the problem was that we were hoping to sell Fabian to generate funds to reinforce other positions. Unfortunately, after not featuring a whole lot for Spain in the Euros, those offers never came. The interest in him from Spain dried up pretty quickly. Real Madrid purchased Eduardo Camavinga from Rennes for 31 million euros. Camavinga has a ton of potential and he costs Real Madrid less than Fabian would have cost which would have been somewhere in the 50-60 to 60 million euro range. Meanwhile, Barcelona's financial situation is a mess so they were never going to be able to spend that kind of money on Fabian. Given that we elected not to sign a left back, a part of me thinks that if Diego Demet did not get hurt, then we wouldn't have signed the central midfielder either. Last season, we had three holding midfielders in Deme, Bakayoko and Lobotka. Lobotka barely played, but between losing weight and training under Spalletti, he really does look like a whole new player. He's that new signing that was already on the team, like Lozano was last season. Lobotka spoke quite openly to sport actuality while on international duty with Slovakia. He praised Spalletti for showing an interest in him and instilling confidence in him. He said Spalletti wants to play a lot through the midfield with a focus on exchanges and combinations, which is a style he likes, and now he wants to repay that trust. Lobotka did not speak so highly of Gattuso. He said if Gattuso stayed, he could have lost 10 kilos and he probably wouldn't have played. So with Deme and a new and improved Lobotka, there may not have been a need for another holding midfielder, but Deme's injury forced our hand a little bit which may have been a blessing in disguise. Obviously, you never want a player to get hurt, but that injury opened the door for the club to sign Andre Frank Zambo Anguissa from Fulham. We signed Anguissa on a loan with option to buy for 15 million euros. Fulham purchased Anguissa from Marseille for 25 million euros in 2018, but apparently he asked for a move after they were relegated. Anguissa is now 25 years old, so that already sounds like good business. Now I don't have any firsthand knowledge of Angisa's play, but everything I've read and heard is very positive. He provides the same size and strength that Bakayoko did. He's a few inches shorter, but he's still six feet tall and he's far more technical than Bakayoko was. Our friend Mo Salad posted a scouting report from FB Ref showing how Angisa performed compared to his positional peers in the big five leagues over the last 365 days. He was in the 99th percentile for dribbles completed the 88th percentile for interceptions, the 86th percentile for tackles, the 84th percentile for progressive carries, and the 83rd percentile for aerials 1. The video montages of him on YouTube seem to validate those stats. I generally don't trust those videos because they only show the positives, but for a big man, he has great feet, including a lovely spin move that he does in the midfield. And Gisa will wear the number 99 in case you're wondering. Hopefully it works out better for him. Than it did for the last player to wear 99 for napoli with the signing of Angisa, there wasn't any room left in the squad for another holding midfielder so we loaned Luca palmiato to cosenza and set B for the season Likewise, with Fabian Ruiz, Piotr Zielinski, and Eli Felmes locked into the attacking midfield positions, there wasn't much room left in the squad for the likes of Michael Foloruncho, Jalnuka Gaetano, Zinedine Meshash, and Karim Zedadka. Foloruncio was loaned to Pordenone, and Gaetano went back to Cremonese, both in Serie B. Meshash was loaned to Budapest Honved in the Hungarian top flight, and Zedadka was loaned to Charleroi in the Belgian Jupiler League finally we have the forwards the big story up top was lorenzo insinia's contract renewal which never happened insinia supposedly asking for five and a half to six million euros per season while delorentis is actually offering a 1 million euro pay cut i get the financial state of the club and the desire to lower the wage bill but that is an insulting offer to a man who just had the best season of his career and then went on to win the Euros. Inter were happy to offer him 6 million a season and image rights, but they were not willing to offer the 25 to 30 million euro asking price. Instead, they offered 15 million euros plus Alexis Sanchez, but that offer was quickly rejected. Now, some people think Beppe Marota was just using Insigne as a pawn in order to improve his negotiating position with Lazio for Tuku Corea, but either way, that has set the new benchmark for Insigne's value. So Insigne will play out the final year of his contract like Dries Mertens did and we'll see what happens. Adam Unes and Andrea Petagna were both rumored to leave the club as well. Unes apparently rejected a move to the Montreal Impact in the MLS which I don't blame him for doing. He was also linked to Marseille and Milan but in the end the club decided to keep him. Likewise Andrea Petagna was heavily linked to a move to Sampdoria and that deal fell through as well. Sampdoria's president Massimo Ferrero said he agreed to all of De Laurentiis demands and then De Laurentiis stopped answering his phone. Both of those players played well against Genoa and both of them are players that Spalletti wanted to keep. Spalletti maintained throughout the Mercato that he didn't need any new players but also that he would like to keep the current squad so I guess he got his way there. So to summarize, we didn't lose any of our starters, Koulibaly, Manolas, Fabian and Insignia all stayed. We replaced Contini with Marfella, which is a downgrade, but it's the third keeper. If you're down to your third keeper, you're in trouble regardless. We replaced Maximovich with Juan Jesus and Hisai with Malqui. For me, those are pretty much like-for-like swaps, and they're all backup players. We definitely upgraded in the midfield, replacing Bakayoko with Anguissa and a bad Lobotka with a good one. We might have the best combination of wingers in the league, adding Adam Unas to Lorenzo Insigne, Matteo Politano, and Chuki Lozano. Finally, we replaced Gennaro Gattuso with Luciano Spalletti. So even though we only purchased two players, I'd say this was a pretty strong Mercato. If I had to give it a grade out of 10, I'd call it a solid 7. Had we added a left back like Emerson, that rating would have been significantly higher. The next question is, how did we do relative to our closest competitors? I'll take a look at that in part 2. Tocca a me. E l'acqua non riesce a bagnare a Eppure tra le onde del tocca mare tocca acqua c'è, tanta vita c'è tanta acqua c'è, tanta vita c'è tocca La gente non si riesce a scaldare tocca 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 me. Perché non sa più cosa abbracciare Perciò bisogna farsi toccare tocca a me. Ora tocco te per tu tocca a me Ora tocco te per tu tocca a me Okay, so let's take a look at how the other top clubs did in the Mercato, We'll start with the reigning champions. Inter had a horrible start to the market. Their financial situation became so dire that they had to sell two of their best players in Ashraf Hakimi and Romelu Lukaku. But when you factor in the unamortized value of those purchases and the reduction in team salary, those two sales alone improved Inter's balance sheet by approximately 140 million euros. The free transfers of Daniele Padelli and Ashley Young and the loan of Andrea Pinamonti added another 9 million euros. Now, most of that money went towards paying down debt, but the rest was used to sign replacements, and Beppe Marota did a masterful job there. He signed Hakan Chalanoglu, Edin Dzeko, and Alex Cordaz on a free, and Federico Di Marco returned from his loan at Hellas Verona. Inter then purchased Denzel Dumfries from PSV, Joaquin Correa from Lazio, and Zeno Van from Standard Liège. Those three players cost €58.5 million, but when you amortize those transfer fees and add salaries... The impact of the budget is only 43 million euros. So Inter were able to meet to their very aggressive debt repayment obligations while replacing Lukaku with Djoko and korea Ericsson with Hakan, and Hakimi with Dumfries, who hasn't even played yet because of how well Darmian has played. On top of all of that, they reinforced other positions and they replaced the champion coach in Antonio Conte with one of the best available coaches in Simone Inzaghi. All things considered, that is a fantastic market for Inter. But when you focus on the football alone, I think Inter still got worse. Ericsson was a late bloomer for Inter, so Hakan is probably an improvement in the midfield. Jeko and Correa are good players who offer different things, but no one can replace the quality and the productivity of Lukaku. Dumfries had a very good Euros, but Hakimi will likewise be very difficult to replace. He's already had an excellent start to the season. For PSG, Let's move on to the other Milan team next, AC Milan were in a similar situation to Inter in the sense that they lost a couple of their best players, both Jijo Donnarumma and Hakan Chalonoglu walked away at the end of their contracts, so Milan had to find replacements for them. Milan swiftly purchased Mike Maignan from Lille to replace Donnarumma and loaned Brahim Diaz from Real Madrid for 2 years to replace Hakan. Milan also purchased Olivier Giroud from Chelsea for only a million euros. Even at 34 years old, that is great business. The Mario Mandzukic experiment failed, he actually just retired. And after last season, you can't rely on Ibrahimovic to stay healthy, so Giroud provides an excellent alternative. Two games into the season and those three moves seem to be working out just fine. Milan also brought in reinforcements at other positions which I'm sure was motivated by their return to the Champions League. They signed Yasin Adli and Junior Messias to back up Brahim and to provide an alternate to Rade Krunic. I don't know why Milan fans, or at least some of them, are so disappointed with that Messias signing. I think he is a very good player and it doesn't matter that he had success playing with Crotone. I think he could do just fine in this role. Timo Bakayoko was brought in to back up Frank Kessi, not to replace him. However, the negotiations with Kessi on his renewal are not going well. Kessi wants eight million euros a season, and Milan are only offering six and a half. With Sandro Tonali having a very good start to the season, I wonder if Milan will look to him to replace Kessi. Fode Baloture will back up Teo Hernandez, and Alessandro Florenzi should back up Davide Calabria. Taken altogether. Milan's annual budget is down 20 million euros, but I think it was money well spent. For me, this is an improved Milan team that has a healthy mix of young players and veterans, and they're one of the few teams that did not replace their coach. The other top club to retain their coach was Atalanta. Atalanta rarely have a bad Mercato. They always seem to sell players high, which they did again with the sale of Christian Romero to Tottenham, and they always seem to find diamonds in the rough. They also loaned Pierluigi Golini to Tottenham, who are suddenly interested in Serie A players now that Fabio Paratici is their sporting director. Atalanta produced so many players that they often collect revenue from players who do not play much for them. This summer, Musa Barrow, Roger Ibanez, Andreas Cornelius, and Nicolas Haas contributed about €33 million euros in revenue. Atalanta signed Juan Musso to replace Golini, which is a definite upgrade. Romero is tough to replace, but Atalanta did their best, bringing in three players that can play in that back three: Medi Demiral on loan from Juventus, Matteo Lovato, who they purchased from Hellas Verona, and Giuseppe Pezzella on loan from Parma. Perhaps the most impressive signing, though, was Tuncum Miners from AZ Alkmaar. We saw Coop Miners firsthand last season in the Europa League, where he was very impressive. Napoli were one of the many clubs interested in the midfielder, yet Atalanta managed to purchase him for only 12 million euros. We'll have to wait and see what role he plays this season. Likewise, we'll have to see how Atalanta used Davide Zapacosta, who they purchased from Chelsea. So Ledea got better in goal, worse at centre-back, and added a few players who provide depth, but could also become starters. Let's move on to Juventus next. The big story at Juve was obviously the departure of Cristiano Ronaldo. Manchester United purchased him from Juve for 15 million euros, but Juve still had 29 million euros of unamortized fees, meaning they recorded a 14 million euro Minus Valenza, or a loss on the sale. That said, the savings from not having to pay Ronaldo's massive salary and not having to make that final payment freed up about 72 million euros in cash. I'm not sure where that money went because Juve didn't spend a whole lot on the market. They purchased Manuel Locatelli on a sweetheart deal from Sassuolo. At $35 million, Juve paid less than any other club would have had to pay. And if I'm not mistaken, it's a two-year loan. So at least according to Calcio Finanza, all Juve are paying in the first year is his salary. Juve loaned Moise Kane from Everton for €3 million euros, and they purchased Kyle George from Santos and Mohammed Hatran from PSV. Who they then loaned out. Ironically, those four players cost Juve less than the four players who returned from loan. Mattia Perin, Luca Pellegrini, Mattia Sciglio, and Daniele Rugani will cost Juve nearly 19 million euros in gross wages. So I think this was a pretty awful mercato for Juve, they lost one of the best players in the history of the game, though I agree with a lot of Juventini who think purely in footballing terms that the club are better off without Ronaldo. I was surprised that Juve brought Kane back because Juve still have Dybala and Morata and even with the purchase of Locatelli, Juve's biggest area of weakness is still the midfield. I think Juve could have also used another centre back with Bonucci and Chiellini getting older and more liable to get hurt though that would be a tough pill to swallow when Rugani makes around $6.5 million gross. But perhaps the biggest mistake Juve made was not signing Donnarumma when they had the chance, We're two matches into the season and Chesney has already cost them points. Now, I'm sure if Ronaldo left Juve at the beginning of the summer, then they would have gone after Gijo, but I guess that's Barcelona's fault because their inability to retain Messi Forced Messi to leave, which then made Ronaldo jealous of the attention that Messi was getting, so he asked to leave as well. But regardless of the Ronaldo situation, Juve got a 400 million euro cash injection from Exor to pay off their debt, so I wonder why Agnelli wouldn't ask his cousin for an extra 20 million euros to cover Gijo's salary. Moving on, Lazio brought in Maurizio Sarri to replace Simone Inzaghi, which naturally meant a change in formation from a 3 5 2. To play in a 4-3-3. That meant Lazio would need to make some significant changes to their squad, which I think they did. Starting at the back, a team built to play a 3-5-2 has too many centre-backs and not enough full-backs to play in a 4-3-3. Wesley Holtz alone expired and Mateo Muzakio was released, so they freed up two positions there. But Lazio only signed the LCT-Sai on a free to play at left-back. Instead of signing a right-back, is trying to convert Manuel Ladzidi to play in that position, so far, it's worked fine, but I'd like to see how Lazeri fares against some of the better wingers in the league before I judge. Lazio still lack depth at fullback as well. Adam Marusic is the only alternative and he too would be a converted wingback. Lazio are in the Europa League again, so they could be relying heavily on these three players, which we know is something Sadi tends to do, but if Lazio pick up an injury, they will be very thin at fullback. We just saw Lazeri pick up a minor calf injury against Spezia so that's something to keep an eye on. While there wasn't necessarily an imbalance of players in the midfield, Lazio still made changes that I think improved the squad. They released Senad, Lulic and Marco Parolo who are both 35+. plus. Just by getting rid of Parolo, Lulic, Musacchio, Ho, and Pereira, Lazio freed up about 13 million euros in gross salary that they were paying last season. They also loaned Mohamed Fares to Genoa and Sofian Keen to Venezia. That freed up space in the squad to purchase Toma Basic from Bordeaux for just under 7 million euros and to sign 16-year-old prodigy Luca Romero from Mallorca for a nominal fee. Now, like Juve, Lazio needed an injection of cash, not as much, but they still needed an injection in order to be able to register these players. Up top, a team built for a 3-5-2 also has too many strikers and not enough wingers to play in a 4-3-3. Lazio addressed this as well, signing Pedro and Felipe Anderson on a free. Then, on the final day of the Mercato, they loaned Mattia Zaccani from Hellas Verona with obligation to buy for around 8-10 to 10 million euros. Zaccani is listed as an attacking midfielder, but he often finds himself drifting out wide, so I have no doubt that he could play as a winger if needed. That purchase was funded by the sales of Joaquin Correa to Inter for 30 million euros and Felipe Caicedo to Genoa for 2 million euros. In fact, that Correa sale allowed Lazio to improve their squad and and improved their financials by about 25 million euros, which is very good business indeed. Finally, Roma were the big spenders this summer. They spent the most in total, as well as the most on an individual player. They bought Tammy Abraham from Chelsea for 40 million euros to replace Edin Dzeko. They also signed Rui Patricio to replace Paul Lopez and Antonio Mirante in goal. That's been a weak position for Roma for a few years now, so even though Patricio is 33, that's definitely an upgrade and 33 isn't actually that old for goalkeepers. The other players Roma purchased were Eldor Shamuradov, who I rate very highly, and Matias Viña, who was acquired after Leonardo Spinazzola got hurt at the Euros. So those 4 players alone cost Roma 82 million Euros. That's a lot of money to spend after pretty much every club in Europe lost money last season. What's even more impressive is that the Friedkins spent all that money without really selling any players. Dzeko, Bruno Perez, and Pedro left on free transfers. Pedro was the first cross-city transfer between these clubs in over 40 years. Finally, Roma released some weighty contracts in Javier Pastore, Juan Jesus, and Antonio Mirante. Those three players reduced Roma's wage bill. By about 9 million euros gross. So for me, Roma were right up there with Inter for having the best mercato, but for different reasons. Inter for successfully managing the loss of two key players, and Roma for improving at two key positions. So that's what everyone else did. For me, the next question is how do these seven clubs compare now that the market is closed? Not who had the best mercato. Yes, if you look at this window in isolation, you could say a lot of clubs fared better than we did. But you don't make moves simply for the sake of making moves. Inter and Milan were forced to make moves because they both lost key players. We did not. Had we lost Insigne and Kuliba,li for instance, then surely we would have purchased replacements. Lazio were forced to make changes because they hired a coach who plays a different system. We hired a coach who plays the same system, so we didn't need to restructure the squad. You can't really compare to Atalanta because the approaches to the Mercato are so different and Atalanta are only able to do what they do because of their Zingonia Academy, which is light years ahead of our academy. Juventus were almost as inactive as we were and they too had to backfill for the departure of a key player. It's also important to note that Inter, Milan, Atalanta, and Juve are playing in the Champions League this season, so of course that means they will have higher revenue. So really, the only team that was in a somewhat similar position as us yet still spent quite a bit of money with Roma. I think Roma are in a much better place now than they were in a few years ago. The summer of 2018 was a disastrous mercato for Roma. Now, they did sign Zaniolo and Cristante that summer, but they also spent 120 million euros on Patrick Schick, Steven Nzonzi, Javier Pastore, Justin Kluivert, and Davide Santon. Those contracts affected Roma for years, and they are only now just getting out of it with the backing of billionaire owners. The point I'm trying to make is that just spending money isn't enough, you need to spend wisely. Now I'm not suggesting that Napoli have been perfect, we all know we need a left back, there are players we held on for too long like Alain, there are players who haven't worked out, that happens to every team, but I think our success rate on the market has generally been pretty high. We all thought that Lobotka was a flop and now he's looking like a great purchase. Before the last two summers where we made big splashes, we slowly built up this team with smart signings that didn't require us to break the bank. We did that so well that when times got tough, we didn't need to make too many moves because the squad was already loaded with talent. So that's where I'll leave it. I hope you enjoyed this Mercato review episode. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'll be back with another episode soon to help you get through the international break, but until next time, I'm Joe Fisketi, Forza Napoli sempre. ¡Ay, sé, la návime me llépte! ¡Tú salió! ¡Tú salió! ador, tu cor ador. Ador, ingrato, que yo despiete! ¡Fame no por! ¡Fame Adoro por! Ador, ¡A dos, lo fuego coche, mas si fuye! e la está! ¡El asa está! ¡En un te corre apreso, te fluye! sul lago guardar! We're Podcast Network.